Hello and welcome back to my podcast. If you don't know yet what this podcast is about, I interview people that I admire and as a thank you I paint them a little portrait on a reused bit of cardboard just to make the process a little bit more sustainable. Today's guest is Anna Chalak. I met Anna in 2013 at the European Parliament when she came together with other amazing young women, part of the leadership project. I loved meeting all those ladies and spotting big dreams and aspirations. We kept in touch and I loved following Anna's path so far. She not only has a very aesthetic and delicate eye and passion for photography and travel, but is also using her platform to speak to her followers, especially to young girls, to share her views and information around social and political issues in the world. Achieving scholarship took her to Cardiff and one of her projects at uni was about feminism, a subject that she is very passionate about. In this episode you'll find out more about Gagauzia, which is an autonomous part of Moldova. We will both express our thoughts on feminism and you'll also find out Anna's favorite five. Drink, food, song, movie and book. Enjoy! Hi, Anna, and welcome to my podcast. Hi, Daniela. Thank you for your generous invitation. That is my pleasure. I'm super excited to be here. So I'll just tell quickly our listeners, I met you a few years ago at the European Parliament when you came uh, as part of a group uh, that was called Leadership. Uh, you were all from Moldova, but specifically when I talk about you, you are from Gagauzia, which is part of Moldova, and it's an autonomous entity. And first of all, I want to ask you a little bit about Gagauzia for those who didn't hear about this. If you can tell me a little bit about it, how it was growing up there, maybe what are the influences in that area, if you can just tell us about this to start with. Yes, okay. Um, so not many people, first of all, probably will hear of Moldova itself to begin with. Exactly. Uh, but then Gagauzia is something that is still very unknown and unexplored part of Moldova, even by the tourists who um, somehow heard about Moldova and, and made it there eventually. Not many actually make it to the south where our region is located. But um, we are unique, um, unique kind of minority. I think probably for people who are from UK listening to us, uh, something like Wales or Scotland in the UK, um, it's like an autonomous unit that has got its own government, its own language, its own legislation. But however, it also has to basically obey the rules or general laws of the of the country of the main government or central government we say so same goes for Gagauzia we um we were established in uh, 1993 but at the same time uh, we have to keep the status of um, our we have to keep the status of kind of you know the unit or territorial unit within another country so uh, just to be clear we're not exactly Moldovans we're citizens of Moldova but Ethnically, we're different. We are more like Turks. We're related to Turks. So around 11th century, we kind of separated as a tribe from a Turkic tribe and we settled in the Balkans. We never had our state and we've been kind of settled, settled there for quite a few centuries until the Queen of uh, Russia granted us this part of land in the south of Moldova, but I mean, that, of course, obviously at that time, Moldova was part of the Russian Empire, so she legally could do so. So we settled there and ever since we've been there, we tried to separate from Moldova. We had kind of like a little conflict situation uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed and we tried to gain our own autonomous um, or sovereignty, let's say, same as all the other countries around were doing so. 
However, we were too little, let's say too small to survive on our own. Um, and uh, thankfully, um, this conflict has been resolved with no bloodshed, which was uh, kind of still mentioned by historians as one of the rare examples of uh, peaceful conflict resolution, although we still have another conflict which is still going on in Moldova, which is Transnistria. But we managed to regulate it. And nowadays it's uh, around 150,000 people and uh, primarily speaking Russian, which is um, interesting, but it's um, also we have forgot our own language, which is Gagos language, which is similar Turkish language, but it's a simplified version. Uh, we use Russian as a kind of a language franca because we never actually developed Gagos language as we never had our state and we never had any scholars to occupy with that. Therefore, it is very kind of basic, which does not allow us to carry out a lot of, let's say, legislative or governing or educational functions. Well, that was a really in-depth explanation. So thank you for that. I'm sure that our listeners will be happy to learn these things. And tell me a little bit, how was it growing up there? And also about your aspirations, because you love to travel so much. And since I've met you, I knew that you have big dreams. So generally speaking, how was it to grow up in there? And did that help you with your dreams? Or, you know, just tell me a little bit, or did you have any extra difficulties getting out of there and traveling? Probably worth mentioning that Gagauzia, probably like the rest of Moldova, is very rural. So we have got, for 150,000 population, we've got only three towns, uh, which are relatively small. The largest one only um, populated by approximately 23,000 people. Um, so there is other two which have even less population, obviously. So the rest of the uh, settlements are all villages. So um, I grew up in one of those, a very small one. Currently is around 700 people population. It used to be a bit more. So while growing up, I was just a um, regular kid from the Moldovan countryside who probably hasn't seen much, just being surrounded by her family, by friends. It was just school, but you know, the perks of growing up in Moldovan countryside uh, is just that you are always surrounded by nature. You are, you feel kind of safe when you go, um, let's say, to the lake or you go into the forest. Uh, we haven't recorded any, let's say, cases when kids have been kidnapped or murdered or something like that. So it was pretty safe for us to go around and explore everything um, and be in this kind of very natural habitat um, and connect to the nature. Um, which probably is now very obvious from my Instagram, maybe where I love all these flowers and blossoms and everything. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I was, I was a happy kid. I think. I think my child was pretty. Although it was very simple, although sometimes deprived in certain things like technologies or maybe good clothing or maybe access to some cool stuff that now kids have. Um, I, I kind of had it all it took for me to grow up into a normal human being and i feel like you know i feel i feel grateful to some extent that i have never been spoiled by all of this and grew up kind of a sane and a wise person so that's probably what i can say about what it's like growing up in the in that place that is really really beautifully said and i'm glad you mentioned instagram because so first of all since i met you i knew that you were into fashion and you really loved fashion and you're really into travel travel as well so obviously your instagram account combines your very sophisticated eye for beautiful things and especially nature as you said you you put a lot of flowers and you capture uh, you know architecture and nature and points that you've been visiting since you started traveling and you make it beautiful and you have uh, you know an impressive instagram follower base but also you use your instagram account to express your social concerns issues that you know affect you maybe personally or maybe it doesn't affect you personally but you are really torn apart by what you're seeing happening in the world and i love that you use your instagram account to have your voice and raise your voice and express your concerns 
But one of the main points that you also express are issues around feminism. And I'd like to know, mainly you use your Instagram for travel, but why do you post about politics in general and feminism as well? So my Instagram, as you rightfully mentioned, was just um, initially was thought of a kind of, um, kind of a, to keep track or a record and track of my of my travel adventures and where I've been and kind of shaped my passion for photography as such and um, helped me develop it because I back in the day I wasn't even using camera and didn't know from which side from which angle to approach a certain picture but then all of a sudden I feel like people kind of grew fond of my of my amateur photography as I still call it because it is so um, I went up all of a sudden up to 10,000 followers and more and I had more people kind of follow me and ask me questions and I created this kind of interaction base or platform for lots of people from my region and people who obviously don't know me at all but come from different um, walks of life and uh, backgrounds and just probably would maybe once in a while would like to see something different rather than just flowers and buildings and everything my my Instagram uh, platform is about. But why I decided to post about politics. So um, I've always been quite a um, involved person in when it comes to social life and everything surround, surrounding us. So I feel like we have to learn to use our voice and raise awareness on certain matters um, and not only be aware or educate ourselves but also maybe teach people around us about certain things because not everyone is exposed to the certain sources of information or to certain extent of information the way for example i do like right so uh because everybody has got different um sources of information they learn from but when it comes to people who particularly from my region I feel like there's still a lot of unfiltered information or unfiltered a learn of a way of learning going on. Lots of people do not really, let's say, see the information they receive. They just get it as it is. So this is probably what concerns me the most is that there's no sometimes a critical challenge of the information they receive. They just uh, perceive it as it is. Do not question whether it's true or not. This is why I decided to just talk about many things. Um, so what is happening in my country, what is happening in other countries, um, and what is happening even in my own village. But why I talked about feminism a lot is just because I come from a still quite traditional background. So um, Moldova is, uh, although European country is quite still dominated by the patriarchal views and um, women that do not feel as emancipated or maybe as free as we can see women in the West. So the surrounding maybe or the environment which I was growing up in was not very, maybe very good for, for a girl who would like to become somebody who would not like to follow this kind of mother-wife pattern mm -hmm. that my grandmother and my mother used, but somebody who would follow her dream, who would travel, who would look for a better pay job, who would first of all be a very educated woman who knows her worth, who can do a lot of things that are as important that the things that the men around doing and will not be belittled by anyone and be treated like an equal individual and will also be perceived as an individual but not just you know a person who deserves less or who can do less so because i was watched uh, because i've been followed by lots of girls from the area and while i was at home i made sure the women or girls around me, um, I made sure I could I could tell them about that they are worth and uh, about their that they have to strive for something more than just marriage or um, just motherhood because the life is is short and lots of women still 
kind of have this unfulfilled life when they feel like they've missed something mm -hmm. um, and they become disappointed, depressed, because there'll be sometimes the moments that they feel like it's too late to start something from blank sheet. And uh, while I was at home, I was also together with some of my American friends and volunteers. I've been also implementing some projects for girls um, locally, and I've been participating myself in the, in the projects for girls. The one actually, the one we, where we got uh, to know each other, leadership. And um, this was probably one of my biggest motivation is just to speak about it and raise awareness about the inequality and the issues that women, particularly in Moldova and in my region, face. So first of all, I wanted to say that you very rightly pointed the issue, which is the issue of disinformation. It's absolutely important that uh, people develop a critical thinking and they question the sources of the information that they get and they don't just take it for what it is, especially from various dodgy sources and websites that anyone can, you know, the clickbait uh, kind of system. So I think it's important that you do that. And uh, if we just stop a little bit uh, on the feminism issue, uh, because you've you've set a little bit the context around uh, the mentality in Moldova. I mean, there are some talks around feminism. They, they started to come about in Moldova. But I wanted to know, does the real feminism actually exist in Moldova in the real sense, taking into account the fact that the mentality is so widely spread uh, exactly what you, you discussed about? So does, does it actually exist? I have not been uh, looking maybe in the feminist movements in Moldova as a whole because I think until now I've been just so um, I've been just so kind of absorbed with my work and everything I've been doing back home. I did not always think of feminism Moldova as a bigger picture and how is it functioning now and what exactly is it doing. Mm -hmm. um, however, I got to know a few organizations in Moldova that um, are working on it. And um, also, I've been looking into different campaigns. For example, one of the recent campaigns that have been on, um, I think for the past few years, it was uh, Red My Lips campaigns, probably as Moldovan also know about this. Yeah, yeah. It's something that portrays this image that um, women who would like to wear uh, what they want and how they want and not be targeted as a object of uh, you know sexual violence and um, because just because they look good or just because they wear their lips or just because their red lips would talk something would tell something about them that they're not maybe um, that they're not maybe humble like modest women that maybe because because they are, they look like this, maybe because to some people they, it may seem vulgar that they're wearing red lips. So that can also make somebody think that they're accessible, that they, that they can be touched or they can be assaulted and stuff like that. So um, there's a, I like this campaign because it has got such a kind of wide range of messages that I think are really needed to be sent to, to the Moldovan society. However, the mentality um, as a whole back at home is it, it's still hard even even with all the effort that is being put now even with all these different projects that are being um, there to educate women and both men as well the, the current generation which is more or less is generation of consists of the people who are growing up in the post-Soviet Union and let's say their children so the, the they have got, they're bringing they have got, it is so much stigmatized by the gender roles that have been imposed uh, since childhood about the gender roles that a woman is meant to be a wife and, um, and um, mother and you know she, she can pursue a career but she should not do more than men does or she should not be more successful or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, because that will belittle the man, that they will feel like the man feeling feeling incomplete. So this this kind of mentality, um, I would still think that is predominant, and 
even these campaigns and even these activities that are being done by the um, feminist movements back at home, they don't really work to the scale that they would probably work on a generation younger, on generation that would be maybe 30 years from now, just because people perceive the information in such a blunt way. They mm -hmm. don't really analyze many times. They, they see things, they put like on the Facebook, right? They might put a comment, but when it comes to action, especially from the male half of population, it is just very little. I see a few men, a few guys who kind of support women, who kind of uh, also use their voice. Like there's, there's a few nice Moldovan bloggers or video bloggers that I follow on YouTube. And, um, and they talk about feminism as well. And I felt like that was kind of a fresh, fresh power into the feminist movements, especially coming from men. But it is still just mostly in the capital uh, or young people who are in the capital or maybe in the cities, population that lives in rural, which is the larger part of the Moldovan population. This is probably where the change will come the slowest and the last um, and only after maybe one or two generation changes because at the moment it is still running on this kind of stigmatized base that has been set from the maybe Soviet Union. So this is my current view but it's not only um, in Moldova though so um, the similar things that I observe in a lot of post-Soviet countries like Ukraine and Russia and Belarus. Um, so those countries that are kind of have been, maybe they have this kind of, um, uh, they have this kind of idea of, you know, men run the world. And I mean, although they say that all women have been leading some maybe collective hog farms back in, back in the day, or women have been, I don't know, riding a tractor or they were doing this kind of male jobs but then how many actually women were part of were the leaders of the ussr you know the general secretary there has never been one and there has never been even one go there will not have never been one even in the leading positions so this is this is something that people miss out when they're talking about there haven't been any gender or sex issues back uh, in the ussr Mm -hmm. So there have always been, um, and this is kind of what we're what grassrooted grass through the time and is still present in the generation of my grandparents, of my parents, and even of, pe of my generation, which is basically in people in their mid-20s, early 30s. So um, I feel like there's still a lot of work to be done, and it thinks kind of picked up but it will take so much time it will take at least one or two more generations to change for things to shift the way i would like them to shift right so um but it is just a bit um it takes a bit of patience and i hope when i'm old <laughs> mm -hmm. i hope when i'm in my 70s or 80s if god permits if i actually end up be you know um and have been in that age um if i hope to see changes i hope to see changes in the generation of my children and my grandchildren mm -hmm. and this is when i will have like a firm belief and hope that things are shifting yes because it's exactly as you say i mean women yeah if you look on the surface they are allowed to go for the jobs that men have they are allowed to have a job but also they're the women are the ones who are expected to look after their children and to to do the things around the house it's never a man's job in moldova <laughs> or at least you know that's the preponderant mentality and uh, it's it's not really equal if you think about it and uh, i like how you you pointed everything uh, around all the little issues that you can't see underneath the surface. So you've been living in the UK for a bit now, and I was wondering how it is, what is it like to see feminist movements uh, in the UK as a contrast? 
Yeah, so of course, I mean, probably you yourself as um, as a UK citizen now, you know that... Um, I'm not a UK citizen. <laughs> okay, yeah, so UK resident, let's say. Yeah. Resident, let's say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you, as UK resident, and probably the one who has been living here for a longer period of time than me, mm-hmm. um, the the contrast between the society itself, the the mentality itself, the way of thinking is just such, is so big. It's um, than the one that we know back at home, just because um, people have, these people have, they have got absolutely different way of thinking. And because feminist movements here, first of all, started so much earlier mm-hmm. than, than in our country. So, of course, what we are seeing now the, the way of thinking and the way women is perceived in society um, and the way men are seeing women and the way um, just things are balanced, um, it, it didn't, of course, become this way immediately. So women have been fighting here for this equality and for, you know, for, for them being able to see as a worthy individual mm-hmm. since they're early of the 20th century yeah from the i think 19 what was that 1921 or maybe a bit later that was the first when was was the first suffragist movement mm-hmm. um so the suffragist movement it was just so powerful namely in the west so this is what actually helped women gain kind of more respect or rights we're talking especially about women's rights, women's rights. It, it gained so, it helped us gain so much, so much more power and respect and rights, not only in this Western countries where this movement have been predominantly happening, but also even us, women who are coming from the post-Soviet um, territory, same, same, in the same way, we were granted some, some of the rights or some of the recognition thanks to the movement that has been happening in the West because it has been so powerful that it's no longer men could actually put up with the pressure. So they have been they had they, they were forced to actually act upon this and um, they were forced to grant women basic rights like rights to vote. You know, women are allowed to vote vote in certain uh, point, yeah, or rights even to drive or rights to wear uh, trousers or rights to um, do the jobs that they want. Or there's just so many things that we have been deprived. And it was just recent past. It wasn't something that was three or 400 years ago. It is still until recent past, until 20th century. Most of women globally did not enjoy most of the rights that men have been enjoying for centuries. And it is just shocking that how many women could have done, how, how much women could have done if they were allowed to do things from the very beginning? How many more scientists would have had? We would have more, more than one of Maria Curie's. How many more just different kind of genius women that, that would create music or literature or science or all different kind of fields, how much more to the world would have been given if women were allowed to pursue their dreams? So when I, again, get back to the UK, when I look at their society, I see that this kind of fundamental change in their behavior and the perception of women, um, I see that these changes have been, this is the result of the changes that have been happening for decades. Because, you know, um, if we look back to the past again, UK society has also been very conservative um, until a certain point. And also women were just you know, housewives and mothers and um, could not do lots of stuff. So um, now that that this is the result of their movement, of their voice, and because they they have already passed this transition, not the transition of women learning how to gain their their voice or being independent or emancipated, but the transition mostly in men of how they have to perceive women. So this transition it took them a while and this is probably what's the most fascinating for me to see while I live in the UK is that men are being extremely professional 
with you. So there's something probably what I don't always see back home. Men sometimes are, they're struggling to restrain from some kind of sexist comments or maybe sexual, sexist jokes or whatever. And, and lots of women take it. They do not fight back. Mm-hmm. Well, here, such things just would not be possible because women are so powerful now here that if somebody would allow themselves such kind of frivolous movement, you know, they would be sacked or they would be, you know, penalized or something else because, because this is the norms that are now established so strongly in society that men just can't be allowing themselves to belittle women or to just to, you know, do some sex, um, say some sexist jokes or something irrelevant or something that purely related to her appearance and um, not to her professionalism, you know. So um, I, I like what I see, but, and, but at the same time, I feel so sad for the society I'm coming from because I know that the tradition that I'm seeing here, it will take decades for us to come to this, if only we will come to this, hopefully. But this is a fascinating thing, you know. But then at the same time, I, I don't always see an ideal picture because once again, so, sometimes I, I see men or human being sexist or, I mean, it, it would not be in the context of a workplace, but it could be somewhere outside. I mean, men just driving on the, on the road and they could just, you know, pull the window and shout something or they can say something in the bar or they can, um, I mean, they can also kill you as we see the recent case with the Sarah Everard, which sparked um, a major uh, backlash and uh, protest over, all over UK. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't think there is a, probably, they, they have reached the level of this uh, maturity, maybe the, the perfect balance yet. I mean, although they're very close to it, I would say, but it's probably not maybe the, the same way as, it is in Iceland, or which is claimed as the best place for women to live in the world, mm-hmm. or Denmark or Sweden. I feel like British society is still kind of, you know, 88% unloading, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I like the way you said it. I just want to quickly say that you reminded me to watch the movie Suffragette. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, no. no, I've heard of it, but actually never, um, no, 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 but yeah, thank you for letting me know. I will check it out. Yeah, I didn't watch it yet, but you reminded me to watch it. I'll send you actually a link for it as well. And, oh, thanks. Uh, okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's okay. And um, I wanted to say as well that today I've listened to the podcast episode that you recommended to me. So I'm talking about the podcast from The Guardian, uh, which is called... Uh, today in focus. <laughs> it's called men. Yeah, it's called men. Um, what can men like do? What can men do? What can men? What can men do about you know violence against women? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How can they stop? Basically. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you kindly recommended this episode, and I've listened to it today uh, ahead of this interview, and uh, I just must. Uh, point to the fact that they were talking about this thing which you've touched upon as well uh, because it used to do uh, with violence around women even the fact that women when they go out or they go for a jog or they go for a walk they have to think about all the other extra things that men usually don't think about and of course you know there is violence against men as well so we shouldn't just say it is only against women but and also, right. they were even talking about this expression, violence against women, because the focus is not on the perpetrator, it's usually on the victim. And exactly. The terms should be changed. And, it, you know, it, it was a very interesting conversation. So thank you for recommending that. It's a really good uh, food for, t- for thought around this issue. But uh, this is where we come to, this, to the subject that men can do things about it too because some people might think if a person is a feminist it should be a woman who is a feminist and it should be a woman who is fighting for the rights of the other women but it's exactly what they said in the podcast as well 
But in most cases, it is men who do these things. And then also men are and should be doing more about it to fight these problems. So tell me, I'll get to the question now, um, why men as well? Because of course there are already men, men who consider themselves feminists, but I guess the conception is still, and the perception is still that mostly women are or are not. So tell me why should men well, why they can and why they should be feminists as well. Um, so let's just um, break down the actual terms of what feminism, because uh, of what feminism is. It's just, um, it is such a, probably one of the most misconcepted or misinterpreted terms there is, is just because men tend to think that feminism is only about, you know, belittling men or dominance of women or um, making uh, men being you know less worthy or something like that so it is sorry, completely can I, can I just ask, sorry to interrupt you because there are also i've heard that and I've, I've been really shocked by this because i've heard of women having some women having uh you know this this kind of reaction to feminism as being like oh, I love men, I'm not a feminist. But they, these two do not exclude each other. I love my men and I'm, I'm a feminist. That does, but I just wanted to add that quickly because that was a shocking point to hear women say that. And this is to do with misconception around the term feminism. If I'm a feminist, it does not mean I hate men. Sorry, I just wanted to... No, 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 <laughs> you, I mean, your topic is absolutely relevant. It's just because, as you rightfully mentioned, we do not hate men. Um, I mean, because feminism is not about hate or about some, um, somebody dominating, like one gender dominating another gender or um, one gender belittling another gender or something like that. It mm -hmm. is actually both about men and women. It is helping both men and women um, achieve the, uh, probably the most balance or um, the most kind of lucrative way of coexistence um, that can be. And uh, I feel like this is the main problem with this movement, is that they have not interpreted this um, term to the world so that it would not be so disregarded or not taken seriously by man. I mean, of course, let's be honest, there are some feminists that are very extreme. Mm -hmm. There are some feminists that yes they hate men yes they do everything against men yes they want women to be dominant stuff like that but this is something that i don't support either um i feel like we should coexist and we should achieve and we should strive to achieve this kind of balance between each other between genders just um, and live in this world beautifully together without somebody to feel that they're more worthy than somebody else. So um, this is what probably I want, to, first of all, to point out is that feminism is not about um, dominance of men. It's, what is it about, actually? It is about toxic, patriarchic, conventional norms that have been imposed and dictated to us and rooted into our existence since the time immemorial about the gender roles and that is equally toxic for men as they are for women mm -hmm. let's say you know man wants to wants to cry you know a man normally hides or he is considered as the one who has to hide or restrain from showing his emotion a man who should not be sensitive a man who let's say he wants to I don't know, dress up in a certain way, mm -hmm. or he wants to wear makeup, or he wants to do his nails, or he just wants to be the way he wants to be without somebody telling him what he wants to be. Feminism is telling that a man can be whoever he wants, same as women. He, if he wants to do, if he wants to cry, I mean, you do you, because this is the problem with lots of men. It's because they're hiding their emotions so much. It's because they're 
um, basically suppressing this emotion in them. This is why so many men have problems with, with, their, with their health because it is actually scientifically proven that a lot of men have heart attacks um, just purely because they have been always keeping their emotions inside. Mm -hmm. And you can see how devastating it can be for, for their health. So there's just so many things that patriarchic norms are influencing in both men and women behavioral patterns, which are not healthy at all. Mm -hmm. So feminism is benefiting equally men and women. Mm -hmm. Initially, it was about, about women, of course. But this is why the word feminism, which is, you know, comes from Latin. So this is why it was about women mostly. But now it is perceived mostly as something that's for men and women. So this is why I think this is probably the main point about why men also have to be feminist. Because it's also for their own personal, it's also for own personal benefit. It's just for them to be able to um, express themselves they want, they way, the way they want and not be afraid of being judged by other males. Mm -hmm. So speaking of other males, and just once again, just maybe trying to break down the, um, the question about why men also have to be feminists. So if we just get back to the podcast, we've listened. Mm -hmm. So um, if you remember, so the speaker, what he said is that men don't always understand what women have to go through on a daily basis to ensure their safety, to ensure that they just don't, are not being called out, they're not being uh, judged, they're not being assaulted. There's just so many things that we have to care about that men never should. Mm -hmm. And this is so embedded also in our life and our way of living that we don't even understand that actually this should not be normal. Mm -hmm. Us being always caring about our safety should not be normal because I don't think lots of men are thinking about how are they going to get home at deep, uh, you know, late at night. I don't think lots of men are thinking when they are going out with, um, let's say, shirtless, how many people around will call them out for that or will think that they are, you know, just frivolous or, you know, not, be, not to be taken seriously. So this is what we always have to be thinking about and shape our lifestyle around it, just because we don't want to be called out or we don't want to be subjected to this kind of constant judgmental thinking of, of people around. So the thing is that, Lots of, me, lots of women are feminists. Lots of women are trying to get to the heart of this problem, of issue, of, of this kind of gender imbalance around us. But then why is it always women, as you said, like as you asked, why it's mostly women? It's just because who else, if not women, will understand the struggle? Like we ourselves, we know what, our, what the issue is. And what are we struggling on a daily basis? So this is what we're trying to fight. This is what we're trying to eliminate. But because men aren't, cannot relate, because they can't really understand the struggle, because, as I said, they can't really get into the mindset of, of our lifestyle and, and kind of feel the way we feel on a daily basis when it comes to everything, when it comes to maybe economic inequality, when it comes to, you know, just general perception this is why they can't really understand but things will never change until men will start influencing each other on on this term until let's say fathers will educate their sons on how they how they have to behave themselves around women until college mates will start educating each other and say hey you cannot talk to this girl like that hey you will not um, you will not be, you know, pressuring her like that. Uh, or maybe you will not be calling out a girl on the street mm -hmm. or um, until men on some kind of workplace will, will say, hey, can you just view this, this, this woman as just professional without cracking some kind of sexist jokes behind her? Mm -hmm. Or so this is kind of peer pressure that until men do not 
impose this kind of uh, peer pressure on each other where they not only where they well actually will be considering this more than the pressure of feminist feminist movement around it i don't think a lot of changes will happen it's just this is why men they, they may not call themselves feminists right yeah but they have to kind of get into this mindset of treating a woman as an individual as a whole mm-hmm. not just somebody who you know can be just sexual objectified mm-hmm. and um so this is why i think the change will start only when the mindset of of the male population and their way of thinking about women, their way of treating women will change. But I feel like it has to start from a peer pressure first, when more and more women, uh, more and more men will educate themselves. More and more men will get this way of thinking from upbringing, from, from at home, from their fathers, from their brothers, mm-hmm. from their mates at school, from their marriage college and the workplace. And this will be a reoccurring pattern of behavior that will eventually be so embedded into, into the mindset of a society that there will just be no other way of, um, you know, mistreating women because there will be such a huge pressure on, not pressure, but it will be just a very strong or firm norm that will be set up in the society where a woman will no longer be seen as a, you know, somebody who's, um, you know, like a sexual object or a person who is not worthy or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't know if I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like it, I've, it was kind of, I've twisted it a lot. It's just a very long answer to your, to your question, but um, this is how I see and um, just how, Things probably maybe should take turn, but um, again, what I see and what I think is that if these changes will come, I mean, they're gradually happening. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they're mostly coming into the developed rich countries. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world, we still have lots of very traditional countries where these gender roles have not changed for centuries, where women do not enjoy or don't even dream to enjoy the rights, still can't enjoy these rights that we are enjoying in the Western hemisphere. So even if these changes that I'm talking about, even if this shift happens to the max in these countries where we are now, there's still lots and lots of countries where there's just so many problems that worth to be talking about and they have to come at least to the level where we are now mm-hmm. um, because what I'm talking about is like a utopic picture where you know women no longer see women uh, like men no longer see women as a sexual object men respect women in all aspects men just you know care for women to get the same pay rate as they do and all and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it it will um, it will just probably never happen globally. So this is what sometimes when I think about it, it just makes me sad. But because you know you can't really make the whole world perfect. But and my heart goes out for just so many women out there who who are trapped in their societal norms and can't really do anything. Um, so they can't really just enjoy any of the freedoms that they might be dreaming, but just can't have access to. So that's, that's probably, we have to keep this movement alive. Even if we ever achieve this kind of great results in the, in the Western world, why I'm saying we'll ever, because we're still working on it, Mm -hmm. but there's still so many countries out there where women just can't have anything and uh, this is uh, this is just upsetting so for very frustrating to be say and i mean 
I feel I feel lucky. I feel lucky that I grew up even Moldova is poor, but more or less we're still kind of free, you know. I could yeah. leave my country, I could go, I could still marry who I want, I could still do the do the jobs I want. Yes, I might be paid less. I I might have like some maybe some other issues, but but in the larger scale of things, mm-hmm. um, I still more or less free, which I feel very lucky about but again i have friends who who just they 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 say they're happy with the state of things but then i also know that deep inside they feel trapped and they just can't they just can't do they just can't change anything um so this is why the movement of feminism has to stay alive because it still is able to change things even in those countries which we think things can't be changed because of the very strong patriarchal norms. For example, I'm talking just about, if you heard about gen- um, genital mutilation in countries. Yeah, uh, of yeah. So mm-hmm. like even recently in, South, in Sudan, there was a big kind of victory for the feminist movement back, back mm-hmm. there because they just uh, managed to ban this kind of practice there. So even when we think that this country are kind of third world countries, which are really, really behind um, and the women there can't really do a lot, I feel like there's step by step, little by little, one step at a time, you know? So I feel like this is just why this feminism and movement and influence on namely male way of thinking about women has has to carry on. So I'm, I'm just curious how things will change in the next 10, 20 years, let's say. Yeah, indeed. I mean, um, of course, uh, it's a very complex issue. There are so many factors that uh, needed to be covered. So I'm glad we had this conversation. I'll just uh, throw a few little additions to what you've said, because you uh, did um, mention the genital mutilation. There is a movie that I've seen, which I recommend. It's called Desert Flower. And it's an autobiography uh, of a Somalian woman. And that, Mm -hmm. you know, a picture of if people have never understood what this issue is about, that that movie is portraying it. And then the other thing that you were saying about things gradually happening, um, I just wanted to mention because you touched on the death of Sarah Everard. You know, there was a trending tweet immediately after when men were asking, some men were asking, what can we do to help women feel safer? And I actually liked that kind of question because, you know, there are even papers like The Guardian and so on. They were giving advice to men on how to behave around women in the park or how to keep a safe distance or to make sure they're being seen make enough noise to 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 make sure you know like the little things that that they just don't make a woman feel uncomfortable because of all these things that you are saying that women need to think about when they go out so i like that kind of thing that there there was a, a spark in conversation around this as well and then you are also mentioning about men who don't express uh, themselves and then there, there is a higher risk of heart attack. I want to just add that there is also a higher risk of uh, suicide because the rate of suicide in men is much higher than in women because of one of the issue is the fact that a lot of men uh, feel like they're not allowed to express their feelings and then they feel trapped inside as well. And also yeah. I wanted to add... Um, quickly because she's one of my favorite feminists who passed away unfortunately but her life was so so amazing it's about Ruth Bader Ginsburg I don't know if you've heard about her yes yes I did yeah she was super amazing and she's an example for me and it's exactly about what we were talking because she was a huge advocate on feminism but she was the first first uh, case that she took on was to defend the man uh, she wanted to change the constitution regarding a man who was supposed to look after someone he wasn't allowed to get that allowance because 
in the constitution it said that it was the the woman only who would be allowed to stay at home or look after someone or something like that. I'm not sure about the details of this case, but uh, that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, most of the women who believe that they are feminists, even sometimes if we don't call uh, ourselves feminists, we believe in the same equal opportunities for everyone. And exactly. Yeah, it's, it's exactly as you said as well. It's as in any kind of group, uh, there is always a small percentage of people who are at the extreme side, and then they they may give this impression that feminists might be this way or the other way. So I think it's very important that we discuss this and to just be like, no, and I, I really love the word that you use. You use the word balance. We love balance. We want it to be a balanced society where everyone enjoys same opportunities, same rights, and you know, it's just going to be so much better for everyone. So just to wrap things up, I wanted to ask you if you have a general message to your generation. I feel like the, our generation, talking about if, if we're still talking in the context of feminism, it will be one of the, we will be, let's say, especially when it comes to my country, to Moldova, we will be the, the, gra- the, the founding stone of the generation ahead and of the mindset that we will root in them when we will be bringing up our children right say or our or educating just people young people around us so i feel like the main message is to think about the seed that you are planting today and what kind of fruits it can bring in the future so every word that you say to a person around you or to a younger person who is looking up to you it can be changing um it can be it can shape his or her personality and then this is when the change from that from that level will start so my um kind of message or my wish is that every person of my generation now to understand how important our actions and our words are for the changing or shaping the society of the future and what we would like to see the society to be in the future and i just want everyone to take in consideration these little things and be very careful and try to educate ourselves as much as possible for us to plant the right seed for it to bring the right fruits. That's it. Thank you for the message at the end. And I won't leave you until I'll ask you a quick round of fire questions at the end, if you'll allow me. Oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. Okay. So, Anna, what's your favorite drink? Um, you won't believe but water. <laughs> Perfect. I oh, love water. And you're the second person who chose water in my podcast. So... It's good. <laughs> What's your favorite food? My favorite meal is any type of salad. Ooh, very nice and healthy. What's your favorite song, if you have any? Okay, so at the moment, I enjoy very much the uh, song of Sam Smith, Kids Again, where he says that we cannot be kids again. And we will never be, unfortunately. (laughs) Okay, then the next question is, what's your favorite book? My latest favorite is Michelle Obama's Becoming. I love that one too. And the last one is, what's your favorite movie? I would go with um, probably the very complicated and twisted Interstellar. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet, but I'm very fascinated by universe. <laughs> universe. Yes, and... me too. I, um, I, I really love science and mm-hmm. um, just love everything about space. So just Interstellar, The Martian, just them one of my top, top favorites. I need to watch them both. I didn't, I haven't seen any of these two, but did you see Mercury? I think it's Mercury 13. It's about mm, the... No. Okay, so you love that because we discussed feminism and this is a very good documentary about the original 13 women who were supposed to be, actually the, f- the first person in space was supposed to 
no, the first person to step on the moon was supposed to be a woman because they initially chose 13 women uh, and their results were much better than the men that they chose. But uh, you'll see it in the documentary. I'm not going to spoil it. Oh, okay. Yeah, because of the patriarchy. Oh, it's not a fiction. It's not a fiction. I know the two that you, you said about, they are fiction. But uh, you love this one because it is about uh, lack of opportunities for women. And even if they did better uh, at the, ho the whole experiments, because they were uh, supposed to stay underwater for a certain amount of time. To, to, yeah, they did experiments on these people to see if they are fit to go to space. And women did much better than men, but they were not allowed to go, basically. So you should definitely Ooh. watch this one. And it's interesting. Yes, I will check it out. It's exactly what you said. You know, if women were allowed to do things, they could have been, you know, the story would have been so different. The woman who, who said, you know, it's a small step for a woman, <laughs> a big step for, what, what was it like? Uh, I forgot what Neil Armstrong is it, said. Is it what Armstrong said? Yeah, what did he say? A, a small it's step for men, a little big. Yeah, it? big step, big, big leap, or he said, or jump for humankind, something like that. Yeah, so it should have been a woman, just for, <laughs> so that you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just, I'm just saying that um, so many women could have brought so much to the world, and um, it's just absolutely frustrating to um, kind of think about it that the world has been deprived of just so many opportunities and so many new developments and discoveries that could have been done if women have been allowed from the start to do stuff but you know now thank god more or less we are doing like even on nasa i've seen when they when they launched the the new the latest um the latest rover that was so uh, one of the one of the um chief of this operation was um was a woman i think she's she's the head of the of the mars 2020 operation so yeah. i was kind of i was kind of you know rejoiced seeing that so i mean i was like you go girl exactly yeah definitely things change so much uh, for women there's still a long way to go but we're definitely uh, in a good time especially as you say i feel fortunate that um, even if there are the issues that there are we're so much more luckier than other women in other parts of the world where their their rights are so limited so i thank you so much anna for for your time and for your dedication and for your really complex answers to to all these questions and i want to congratulate you on your very well spoken English. <laughs> you have a beautiful British accent now. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I mean, I, let me thank you. First of all, just it's a pleasure to speak to my compatriot and uh, just for, for all the audience who are thinking, who are listening to us. Just uh, first of all, my apologies for very long and extensive um, answers, but also just hopefully you will visit Moldova and uh, <laughs> good wine and believe it's very it's worth visiting us and maybe if you would like to contribute to the feminist movements back at home you could find information on different organizations and they desperately need for donations so just would be really grateful for that so thank you that's a good call for action definitely when it's safe to travel we do recommend you to try uh, moldovan wines uh, you know straight in the caves of moldova <laughs> and in the wineries because we have very good wines and amazing landscapes even if we're a landlocked but it's beautiful so yes it is thank you again and i wish you all the best and have a nice evening and we'll keep in touch for sure and again thank you don't do not apologize for your extensive answers because that's exactly what i needed i'm glad that you want to discuss these things and you came forward with the idea to discuss these things and it's amazing to to get the message spread across and hopefully as we can empower empower as many people as we can oh that would be awesome thank you very much then thank you darling